0: this is Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator with the American Council of the Blind, and welcome to this episode of ACB in Action. This month, we are going to hear from a brand new president and her dreams and goals for this year as Julie Brandon talks to us, President of the Washington Council of the Blind. Then, we're going to hear from Paul Edwards and Jane Corona representing the Braille Revival League, one of our 20 special interest affiliates in the ACB. They're going to tell us some of the innovative things they're doing to not only engage their membership, but to encourage continued participation and connection. I hope you'll stay along for the ride. So for this segment, I am pleased to be able to introduce Julie Brannan, newly elected president of the Washington Council of the Blind and happily a friend of mine. So thank you, Julie, so much for being willing to take part in um, ACB in action.
1: Thank you for asking me. I'm really very excited to share.
0: So let's start off. I know a lot about you, but others don't. And so I'm wondering if we could just back up to when you were in college. Mm -hmm. I know that is when you lost your vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe you could explain a little bit about uh, how you lost your vision and, yeah, just that time in your life. Sure.
1: Well, I had um, completed one year of graduate school, and I was working on my master's in social work. So after that one year, it was in the spring, actually, 19, I'm trying to think, 1976. And it was in May, and I woke up one morning, and I lived in a house with a roommate who was also in the program with me. And I just shouted to her, I said, how come the sun isn't out? Because we were in eastern Washington, the sun would always be out in May. And she shouted back and said, well, you silly, it is. Well, it wasn't for me. So I called my parents. We rushed to Seattle. And when I looked back, I'm sure I had a retinal detachment. But the doctor that we saw, who was supposed to be the biggest retinal specialist in Seattle, just kind of patted me on the shoulder and said, oh, well, you've lost your vision. You didn't have much anyway. It was a very traumatic time. Um, I It took about two years, actually, Cindy, to adjust to it. I had enough vision that I could read large print, and I could walk around without a cane. I should have used a cane, but I could walk around without one. I could see colors. I couldn't see detail that well. I always told people I have to get close enough to kiss you to see you, and many people didn't take me up on that. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was quite a time. Um, I wanted to finish my degree very much because I put everything into it, I ended up losing 70 pounds. What a way to lose weight. Not a good way to lose weight. But I was not even aware of how depressed I was. And finally, one of my professors pulled me aside and he said, Julie you need to either, yeah, I'd like you to go home for a few months and just kind of rest and get, get yourself together. I didn't realize that I was just sitting in class with tears falling down my cheeks. Um, okay. It was just a really bad time. And he was just a dear. He said, you go home, but if you can get your thesis in, And you can come back and start your internship and then come back. He goes, I'll let you graduate with your class. And then you go back and finish your internship. Very kind professor. He was right. It was time to leave. It was time to get myself together. And it was a time of I went back home with my mom and dad, and they were just grieving. Oh, they felt so guilty. They did nothing wrong, of course. But they were such caring parents, and they were so, so sad. I'll never forget what was happening is I was supporting them. I kept telling them, it's okay, I love you, you did nothing wrong. I'll never forget the day that I said that to them, I said, you know what, you guys, it's my turn to cry. And we had a very, very heartwarming. I grew very close to them and realized what how blessed I'd been with the parents I had. So after three months, I did go do an internship unfortunately i couldn't find any in eastern in spokane found one in eastern washington it was in wenatchee so after the total loss of vision i remember i just you know was not used to the mobility was the hardest change for me i had my braille skills down fortunately thank god um i knew how to at that time we were typing but the mobility oh that was a huge transition so i ended up moving to wenatchee um again newly totally blind i didn't even hardly think about it And it was a very good experience. It was good that I realized that I could do it as a totally blind person. The two things I remember Cindy most, I remember after doing my internship during the day, I would sit in the rocking chair at night. I had a rocking chair in my apartment. And um, I would just be thinking, what I'm so sad about is I'll never see the sun again. That was really very hard for me. And the other thing I was really sad about is I have a twin sister who sighted, and I thought I'll never see my sister's face again. I've shared that with her since I have to tell you something funny about her, because what I do remember about her is her high school senior picture. When I think of her, that's what's in my mind, and she loves to tell me, don't worry, I haven't changed. Anyway.
2: <laughs> but those forever were the young. Two,
1: forever yes, forever young in my mind. She's forever young, yeah. Uh, but those two years, it was obviously circumstantial depression at that time. But I made it through, got my thesis done, um was able to graduate with my class and then finish my internship. So, so what the best thing for me during that time was that I had a strong goal and I had a focus and I think that was extremely valuable even though during that time I thought why did it have to happen now right in the middle of graduate school but in the end I think it was you know if it's going to happen it was a good time to happen because I was so motivated and had something so much outside of me to be able to reach for but it was a, a overnight vision loss is what happened so
0: that's my story. And, and you've had a uh, really good fortune to have multiple careers and some of them coinciding at the same time with each other. I've known you have three (laughs) jobs at one time. A few years Uh, I have, yes. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your careers? Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. Well, the Master's in Social Work, um, I'll never forget. This is interesting. I had put myself on the state registry, and a fellow called from Seattle. I remember I was in Spokane. That's where I grew up. And he called, and he said, I'd like to interview you to work at Child Protective Services. And I said to him, well, I don't want to live in Seattle. And by the way, I'd been trying to get a job for a year, even though I graduated toward the top of my class. Um, I'd been trying to get a job and hadn't had any offers where all of my classmates were employed at that point. And that's just the sad news about employment for blind Mm -hmm. people. So anyway, um, my dad heard me. Luckily, my dad was around and he said to me very loudly, and I think he wanted the man to hear, you will live wherever they offer you a job. My sweet, sweet father. So then I turned to the guy and said, oh, I guess I can come for the interview. Anyway, that's what happened, you guys. And I was hired by Child Protective Services. Um, My first few years, I just did telephone intake. And after that, then I became part of the crisis unit. I did that job full time for, let me calculate in my head, 17 years. Then in 1995, I started that job in 78 and nineteen, and and that. By the way, that was an interesting job. I I was the only blind person they'd ever hired. Um, and when we changed to computers, initially I did everything on the typewriter, all my reports, and then mm-hmm. we had the secretary read that report and input it into their system onto their forms. They had forms then that they were writing on. Then when we changed to computers, I will say they did a very good job, even though it was cumbersome because you know how. Um, Data systems are not that accessible, but getting JavaScripting done and making sure that me, the only employee that they had to do this for, had as best as possible computer access. It was frustrating, however, in that computer access was, you know. It was very mouse driven and I was doing like 10 keystrokes for one click of the mouse and speed was required anyway. So I worked in the crisis unit and that meant that I mainly worked odd hours like swing shift and night shift, which allowed me to do some other jobs during the day. And the crisis unit was all of the street kids and kids that had been abused came to our office. We did what we called phase one family counseling and we would work with the families and the kids to see if the child should go home, if the child need to go to uh police needed to be called or a child needed to go to the hospital. So it was a very intense job all those years, very intense.
0: So you didn't need sleep then? Uh, no, no, I, 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 I was just working all crazy. <laughs> so anyway,
1: it was fun. 1995, I got a call from a friend, and he said, the Braille teacher here is going out on pregnancy leave, and they need a part-time Braille teacher. He knew I had a passion for Braille. I hadn't, I hadn't taught in, professionally before, But I went and interviewed and they hired me for that. And fortunately for me, CPS rarely or didn't ever let anyone go part-time, they let me go part-time. So I could work at Department of Services for the Blind where the Braille teaching job came to fruition and work at CPS part-time, so I was doing that. 1997, um, the Lighthouse called and said, we need a Braille teacher over here for a program we have. Would you be interested in doing that? I'm not sure how they happened to call me about that, but they did. So I left services for the blind and then continued in my CPS and worked at the Lighthouse in a training program for them. For them, And I taught both communication classes, meaning you know interpersonal communication courses because of the social work that I had behind me and taught Braille there. Then in 2000, and by the way, I'm still working part time CPS. In 2000, Services for the Blind called me back and said, We'd very much like you to come back here. Would you be willing to come back and teach Braille part time? So I left the Lighthouse at that point, went back to DSP. I ended up teaching for them and at that, in that job, I did teach Braille. I developed their career exploration program for for the Orientation and Training Center. That's what I was working for. It's a the training component re, for a rehabilitation agency, Department of Services for the Blind. So I taught Braille and did their career program, and I did that from 2000 to 2011. In 2009... Um, And by the way, in 2008, Lighthouse called me again and asked if I would write a proposal for a Braille training program. They had dropped their Braille training and wanted to reinitiate it. So I did write a proposal. And then 2008, I went and did some... That's why I was working three jobs, Cindy. I was working for the Lighthouse a little bit, still working at DSB Teaching, and still working for the crisis unit at CPS from 2008 to 2009. In 2009... Um, They had they kept changing their data system programs at CPS and every time the change happened the access got more difficult so one night I had both the the access trainer with me and the Trainer that was training employees at CPS and my computer was shutting down it shut down about nine times Just trying to get through Mm. one form and I finally stood up and turned around and said I quit I had been battling That their computer systems for so many years and with the expectation and rightfully so that I would keep up the same pace as everyone else Mm -hmm. so I just said I quit I thought what am I doing (laughs) why do I need to do this and at that time my husband was having a lot of eye surgeries and there was a lot of pressure in regard to that so I realized I didn't need to do all that. So, essentially, I worked at CPS full-time from 78 to 95, and then part-time from 95 to 2009. And it was a very good career in that it gave me a tremendous understanding of what was required to work in the non-blindness field, if that makes sense. And the reason that was valuable is because I took that valued understanding to my work with the Department of Services for the Blind in developing their career exploration program.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: all right so then in 2011 um the lighthouse came to me and said we are looking for another employee support services manager are you interested in applying for that and so and they were hoping to expand their braille training program so i left dsb and i applied for those two positions at the lighthouse and got those and so i worked at the lighthouse again the braille training program and employee support services manager. So I kind of did half and half there for three years. So that was from 2011 to 2014. In 2014, the manager or the administrator, sometimes called manager, sometimes administrator of the orientation and training center at services for the blind was retiring and people were telling me that the job was open. I applied. And I got that position. So for the last five years, finally, we come to the end. I was the (laughs) program manager for the Orientation and Training Center. And that's what I just retired from. I love to tell people my retirement date was Halloween. So... Anyway, that's the position I just retired from. Probably that was the position that required the most out of me. It's nice to end your career that way. And I learned more about myself and people in that position than any other position. It was um, very multifaceted. It was supervising or managing a program that I absolutely had passion for. And that makes such a difference if you get to work in your passion area. Some of the requirements of that job were not necessarily my passion area, Many of them were as far as program development is my passion, so
0: that's where I am. Well, and that leads you into your new uh, position, (laughs) which is unpaid, but will be paid in dividends greater than money, Uh I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, President of the Washington Council of the Blind, of course, near and dear to my heart, as I've served in that role. Uh, Yes. Eight years, yes. non-consecutive eight years. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about what brought you to the council, what brought you to WCB, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit about your activity in your local chapter. All right. Um, yeah.
1: All right. Well, in not about 1993 or 4, and I can't remember the year. I'm having a hard time with all these years. But um, I had an acquaintance come to me and said, you know, you ought to, you ought to look at. She said, and rightfully so. She was a part of the council, but she said you ought to look at both organizations. She was very wise to do that, and so I did. A few years before that, I had been courted by National Federation of the Blind. I didn't join them. I'd been courted by them, taken out to dinner, and I knew some persons from that organization in my college years when I was at college in the early 70s. Anyway, and then this person came in and I went to a local council meeting. I could tell, because I'd gone to a local NFB meeting, I could tell the council was more who I was. And, again, my friend who had encouraged me to go to both um, was a council member. So I became a council member. I went fairly quickly to a national convention about the first year that I joined the council. And that was good in that I was overwhelmed. (laughs) But (laughs) But it really gave me a sense kind of of the big picture. And I realized this is an organization I wanted to join. So I joined the local chapter, and I became president of that chapter Fairly quickly. It seems like in about maybe four or five years. And their current president very much mentored me. I can't tell you, Cindy, how much I believe in mentoring and succession planning, how important that is. And she did. I didn't realize she was mentoring me. I first had been secretary, but she was mentoring me to become the president Mm -hmm. of the chapter. And then I became involved, I would say more probably early, very early 2000. My focus changed more so, I mean, I stayed active in my local chapter, but it changed to the state, and I became involved in the state at various, in various positions, um, board member, first and second vice president, and I realized that I love working on committees, especially, again, committees that were my passion area, I have chaired membership, leadership, and scholarship committees and awards committees. So I've chaired four committees for Washington Council of the Blind. The reason I have a passion for this organization, I believe and when I when I after working at the training center in rehab for so long, it to me it's an extension of the camaraderie and the support that the training center offers for students. I couldn't share about the organization that was not appropriate in my position, so I couldn't share about it. Our state, however, Rehab Center, a DSB, sent students to both conventions, fully paid, which I think is impressive, to most state conventions.
0: Sure is, yes. Yes,
1: isn't it though? Kudos to, to Washington State Services for the Blind. Um, and so that way students did get to see, and it's a marvelous extension of what that initial support is. Plus, it's a huge extension of support and advocacy for all blind people, no matter what stage you are in your vision loss journey. I have a passion for the organization and that they really, I give credit to the organization for teaching me leadership skills. Um, it wasn't that they sat down and said, we're going to teach you leadership skills today. That's not what happened. But they gradually mentored me into leadership positions. And the council is the first place that that happened. It it subsequently developed into my careers and into my work with my church. But the council started it because the council believes in people who are blind. So what I feel like is I owe that council a lifetime of involvement and support and leadership training. And I'm very, very excited to be able to give back in this new role.
0: Well, and I'm excited too, because you've also agreed uh, this year to, Serve on the ACB Leadership Institute Committee, mm-hmm. and I know you're going to bring some real tangible uh, and uh, things to that role. Mm-hmm. Um, your passion and really your your understanding of so many aspects of leadership. Um, one of the things that you said that really just resonated with me is you said you were being mentored and didn't really know it. And I think that that is the the real key about mentoring. Mm-hmm. Mentoring sometimes can be very deliberate Yes.
1: Um,
0: by the person that's rece- being mentored, right? We seek somebody out
2: mm-hmm. to,
0: and we want to be mentored. Right. But often... We, it's somebody else that sees something in us, right. and we don't see in ourselves at the time mm-hmm. that uh, starts that very deliberate mentoring without us knowing it.
1: Yes, very and, much so.
0: Yeah. So, Julie, now you are uh, president, uh-huh. and so tell us, you're you've taken on uh, an organization, Washington Council of the Blind is a pretty strong organization. We have something like what, 450 members, members Yes, something like that. So tell me, what do you see as one or two of your goals for this year for Washington Council of the Blind?
1: Okay. You know, I think we're at a crossroads, Cindy. I think um, in just looking at WCB, we did some strategic planning with the board and some other people about a year. It seems like, I can't remember exactly, a year and a half ago. And we're. I want us to go back and look at that strategic plan that we did develop and see how we can focus on that and some plausible um, steps to accomplish. We can't you know, accomplish the whole plan in a year, but st- decide where we're going to start out. I'm going to, kind of develop a committee within the board and officers and have us work on that strategic plan. I think we're also at a crossroads in realizing our membership is changing to some degree. Not only do we have, I'll just say, congenitally blind persons in our membership who have been blind all their lives, very into advocacy, very into making sure legislative changes are made, et cetera. We are getting a lot of people who, as the term goes adventitiously blind people who have lost vision later on or are losing vision that have some different focus. I mean, a lot of their focus for an organization is just plain information and needing support. So I think it's time that we look at all facets of our membership and figure out where is our organization going, and how can we satisfy as many of these needs as possible. So that's one of my big goals, is just kind of reevaluating. We've lost some very strong leaders in our organization recently, in the last couple years. And to some degree, I think that initially has knocked some wind out of maybe our focus and where we're going. So it's almost kind of like Uh, Kind of starting at ground zero and I'm kind of excited about being in this role at this time, but starting at ground zero figuring out who we are. Where does our membership want to go. So that's one of the major things that I will be working on. I'm currently working on developing some new committees, actually, and maybe uh, eliminating some committees, I encourage membership strongly to become involved in committees because I see that's where the work of our organization is done. I'll be asking all board members and officers to chair or or um, vice chair a committee, be a vice chair of a committee, so that all board members and officers are involved that way because I see that administrative overhead is having their finger on the pulse of the organization. Plus, it's the best way for them to realize where the organization is going and what's happening. My passion for people is training. I believe training, you just can't put enough value on that. So I'm hoping to have training ongoing for presidents and committee chairs and vice chairs through the year. That's a focus of mine.
0: Wonderful. And I think that You actually posed two questions that you're looking at for this year that I think every affiliate could stop and do the same and ask the same two questions, whether it be a chapter or an affiliate, state Mm -hmm. or special interest. Mm -hmm. Who are we Mm -hmm. and where are we going? Yes. Where do we want to go? It's something we probably should look at every year. If, right. You know, right. Um, just starting fresh and uh, and putting that at the forefront so that we're thinking about it and not just continuing on because this is the way we've always done, mm-hmm. whatever it is exactly. that we're doing, right? So, right. right. Uh, it's wonderful. Do you have any other words? Of advice or wisdom you'd like to impart on <laughs> oh, those who are listening well
1: I just want to say that I think the organization the the council in and of itself is a phenomenal organization I am so glad we exist I really am and I think we have so much to offer it's just figuring out what we have to offer what we can offer, and and my tendency, Cindy, is to want to do everything. I have to watch myself with that. So (laughs) I'm very excited about the officers and board that we have uh, elected for this coming year because I see a tremendous balance on that board, and I think that's valuable. Um, But I just think the council has so much to offer. There's such a place for the council, you know, national, state, and local levels. So
0: Absolutely. I just
1: think us, we never we don't ever want to lose sight of our value, and we never want to lose sight of the part that we have to play.
0: Beautiful. And remember, I am just a phone call or email away, and am a resource in, at even a different level—not just as a uh, past president of yes. WCB, mm-hmm. but for all of our affiliates as a resource from the American Council of the Blind to support WCB and all affiliates in the, their respective journeys. So thank you, Julie, so much for joining us today. Thank
1: you for letting me share,
0: Cindy.
2: ACB in action.
0: Now for this segment, we're going to hear from two special people from one of our special interest affiliates. This is the Braille Revival League, also known as BRL. And uh, welcome to Paul Edwards, president, and Jane Corona, treasurer. Thanks for joining Hi. me, Paul and Thank you Jane. Very much. Yeah. So, Paul, tell me about BRL. If I didn't know anything about it, what what is BRL, and why should I want to join?
3: It's a special interest affiliate that's been around since around 1980, and the primary objective of BRL is to promote the use and improvement of braille. That is a medium of communication that ought to be used by more blind people than it is. And what we try to do is to work with people who produce braille, work with people who read braille, and work with uh, understanding devices that allow us to read braille in ways that will uh, enable us to be more efficient and to ensure uh, that Braille continues to grow and prosper.
0: Beautiful. And, of course, I love Braille, so uh, kudos to the Braille Revival League. Tell me some of the things that you guys are doing as an affiliate for your membership. So are there activities? I know you obviously meet at convention in July, but are there other things that you do? Uh,
3: There there are a number of things that we do throughout the year. Um, Our convention meetings are are held some of the time in conjunction with other affiliates. So we do a joint session with Library Users of America and uh, with the teachers and with uh, friends in art. And we do a special segment uh, that is an international breakfast where um, we generally try to get either an international guest or somebody really cool from this country who can tell us about neat things that are happening in Braille. And to give you an example, our general session this last year was a comparison of the two least expensive uh, Braille devices, uh, that is Braille displays, that are now available. And that's the the Orbit Reader 20 and the BrailleMe. And we had a really good panel um, that allowed us to get lots of really good information out there on what the strengths and weaknesses of those two devices are. Throughout the year, um, we hold uh, board meetings, which are open to folks and which we advertise, but we also are doing, a series of calls that we call the Braille Buzz. And the Braille Buzz calls have uh, focused on a a range of activities. Our last one was on uh, the Braille Authority of North America and progress implementing UEB. And previous to that, we had done uh, a a segment on note takers uh, under $1,000 where we tried to give folks an idea of strengths and weaknesses of those devices. And we also did uh, one on braille displays. Um, so th- the note takers was actually on on all note takers. I'm sorry, I'm getting it backwards. And the braille display one for, was for those for under $1,000. And we tried to do these every two months so that we're pretty active uh, all all through the year. In terms of kind of keeping in touch with our members and encouraging folks uh, to join us.
0: Exciting. That's great. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in engaging our membership. That's how we retain members is through engagement. So that's exciting to me to hear that you guys are doing something ongoing throughout the year. Uh, Jane. Tell me a little bit about the makeup of the membership of BRL. Approximately how many members do you guys have in? And um, it's national, right? So you're all over the country. Uh, and do you guys have affiliated chapters?
4: Yeah, we have uh, roughly 200 members now. And it's it's shown a steady growth over the last several years, and which we're really pleased about. We do have six affiliates. and um, uh, about half of our members are members through those affiliates. Our dues are at the moment ten dollars a year, um, so it's it's relatively painless for people to to join. And I I just sent out an email to everyone who was a former member of the Braille Revival League who, whose membership had lapsed, and we've got a lot of people uh, joining through that. Oh wow, oh, I forgot I hadn't joined so. <clears throat> so that, that's helped a lot too. And, how would somebody
0: um, join if they wanted to join? Say they're listening today and they would like to support uh, the efforts of BRL and become a member and take part, how would they do that?
4: They can call me. Um, I'll, I'll give my contact information <clears throat> at the end of this. But okay, um, there are several ways that you can join the Braille Revival League. You can pay with a credit card. Or again, you'd call me to do that, and I'll take your information over the phone. Uh, you can go on our website, which is org. all written out, B-R-A-I-L-L-E-R-E-V-I-V-A-L-L-E-A-G-U-E.org. And on that website, there is a membership application, which will take you to PayPal, <clears throat> which will allow you to, to pay your dues that way. You could send me a check um and uh, that's always that always works um and if you are a member uh in one of or if you're a, a person in one of the states where we have affiliates um you can um contact one of those and there again you can contact me and i can give you the contact information for the affiliate um, of your choice our affiliates are in here we go i, I never can remember them all pennsylvania florida texas illinois missouri and california i did it good job good, good job. job yeah yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so so All you right. can always call me and, and i can you know put you in touch with them if you'd like to join through one of our affiliates which kind and of we cool, do have life the- membership um it's ten dollars a year or if you want to have a life membership uh, that's $200 a year or you can pay for multiple years. So we're set up to do that also.
0: Like membership is $200 one time, right? One right. time or $250 okay.
4: in, uh, 10 monthly installments with, uh, of $25. Gotcha. So it's better to pay it all in one lump sum.
0: Sure. And, uh, Paul, you were going to say something.
3: One of the things that we're excited about is two of the, two of the state affiliates are new, um, I went out to Illinois and helped them get an an affiliate started. And our Florida affiliate is also only three or four years old. So we're excited that we're expanding in states. And we've also had a request to look at setting a BRL group up in New York. So we think we'll end up with another new state affiliate.
0: That's great. Um, I also know that you guys do a newsletter the Braille Memorandum, who would like award to talk a little winning. bit about an award award-winning winning newsletter. newsletter yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd like to know a little bit about how often it's published and, uh, yeah, anything you'd like to share about it. So, um,
3: Jane, do you want to start?
4: Okay. It comes out twice a year, and it's, a, it's really, our, our editor is Ralph Smitherman. He does an excellent job with the Braille Memorandum, and it comes out faithfully twice a year. And all of our members can count on that. It comes out in Braille, large print, or via email. The Braille is about 57 pages. It's professionally produced by Associated Services. They do a wonderful job with it. They do the Braille and the large print. And I send out the email. So uh, we're really proud of the, the memorandum. We're always encouraging our members to submit articles to Ralph for, for the memorandum. So it's a really great magazine.
0: Super. Paul, do you want to add anything about the memorandum?
3: Yeah, we we try to make it usually somewhere between 40 and 50 Braille pages and issues. So it's a pretty substantial publication. And we try to do um, a a few major articles um, as well as some fun things. So we usually include some puzzles and games as part of the magazine as well and have done some interviews in the past and, and in, in general, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the newsletter because I think it keeps people up to date on some of the things that are going on with, with Braille and with new developments in Braille.
2: Can and we talk actually, about our game just,
0: I was just going to say that. I bought a couple of them myself. So, Yay. Jane, um, why don't you well, we're going to end this here soon but why don't you tell us about those game books?
4: Okay. Uh, there again, it's Ralph Smitherman who creates them. And they are devilish. Uh, we have, now we have volume one and volume two of our games with Ralph. And um, each book has nine puzzles in it. And there are various puzzles, of various word puzzles and that kind of thing. And each book is $10. Uh, but if you buy volume one and volume two, you can get the whole bundle for $15. I believe he's in the process of creating volume three. So as soon as the buzz dies down about volume two a little bit, I'm sure we'll have volume three and we'll be selling (laughs) all three of those. So anytime anyone wants um, either volume one or volume two or the whole bundle of of both of them, um, just give me a call and I can take the um, payment with a credit card. You can do PayPal, you can, as all the other ways. I forgot to give my contact information. Well, I'm um, going to
0: let you do that okay. just about now. We're, okay. I am so excited that you guys were able to join us. Um, I am a Braille enthusiast. I love Braille. Uh, and I am also a member of BRL. Again, yes. I have been in the past, but I am currently a member, Paul. Uh, Good. How can you talk to Jane and not join? right
4: exactly. so uh, <laughs> and, i think uh, it's it's really important to maintain a database that's that's accurate that's up to date and you maintain contact with your members you write to them if they haven't joined and and you you don't just let the information lapse um, i think i think being a responsible and hands-on treasurer i think is important to, to well, the organization.
0: BRL is fortunate to have you in that role and doing the work you're doing. Paul, thanks for all you do. Um, and Jane, why don't you give your contact information? We know people can check out the website at braillerevivalleague.org, but uh, they can also contact you directly. So why don't you give your phone number? Absolutely. Um,
4: yeah. I guess Jane, J-A-N-E, Corona, C-A-R-O-N-A, treasurer braille revival league the address is three five one one forest edge drive apartment one g silver spring maryland two zero nine zero six the phone number is three zero one five nine eight two one three one i'll give you two email addresses um you can use treasurer at braille league.org Or sometimes that one doesn't work. But if it doesn't, you can always try Jane, J-A-N-E dot E dot Corona, C-A-R-O-N-A at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from anyone. And I'm usually pretty responsive at at responding to phone and email messages.
0: So, Paul, are you guys on social media?
3: We we do have a Facebook page. We um, created it. About a year and a half ago, um, I don't think it's quite up to where we'd like it to be. We're we're, we're not getting as as much traffic as we'd like, but it's it's uh, Braille Revival League um, is the is the the Facebook uh, that folks would go to, and we're probably we probably have about two hundred and fifty followers now, so it's not bad.
0: Well, and the more people that uh, join it then the more active it could be right so uh, exactly yeah and and you don't have to be a member to uh, join I that certainly facebook do not. page so in fact we, you
3: we we would love it and and um, on the acb convention page uh, all of the the information from our sessions at convention um, is available as podcasts and so folks can actually listen to what happened at the convention there
2: as well
0: beautiful Thanks you guys again for being on with us today for ACB in action.
2: In this show's final segment, we'll hear Cindy Van Winkle's presentations to the ACB board of directors in their meeting held February 22nd, 2020. First, she introduces us to the POSSE. Then we'll hear the member services report.
0: The POSSE stands for providing outreach through sharing support and engagement. The four ladies that are currently on the posse, Jane Corona from Maryland. She originally was helping out with um, phone calling as well, but has since decided to step back from that part and is helping me with uh, some of the data uh, information and uh, pulling information, the people that we need to call out of, so creating projects for our ladies, to make those calls. And then our three current callers are Lori Allison from Washington, Leslie Spoon from Florida, and Mary Hopped from Louisiana. And I just want to say that it's been a learning experience. We are, we are looking for more Posse members. This is about an eight-hour commitment each week. Some women give more, and sometimes uh, maybe a little less, depending. They are working now at their own pace. Uh, originally, we started; it was like I would send out a project to everybody and wait till they all came back, and then I'd send out another project. Now, I send them a new project when they're done with the previous project. Um, we did 165 hours in our first quarter, the October through December, and in January alone. 104 hours with three ladies making calls. So please help me thank these three ladies that are making these calls in January. 104 hours and we're going to come close to that in February. Thank you ladies so much for making the posse work and uh, if you know of anybody who has time on their hands, is good on the phone, is good with Excel, it's very important, and is a good writer because that's all part of it. They don't just make calls. They also send emails. It's, it's very communicative. And um, so there needs to be a level of writing skill and ability to make phone calls and set their schedule and you know stick to it, depend on them. Uh, please have them reach out to me. Thank you so much. One of the things that was never in my specifically in my membership action plan, but ended up happening as a result of the affiliate survey, was I ended up holding thirty-three one-on-ones with leaders in our in our affiliates. Um, those took place throughout November and December, and I feel like they were just an amazing opportunity to learn and to share and. To provide support to, um, and it turned out to be 32 percent of our state, or 32 percent of those that took the survey ended up being on those one-on-one one-on-ones. 40 percent of our state affiliates and 37 percent of our special interest affiliates were represented in those one-on-one calls. As a result of those calls, as well as others that I've received from presidents. I, again, something that was not in my membership action plan, but I went to Eric um, and said, you know, Eric, I really would like to start a hump day happy hour phone call for our presidents on Wednesday afternoons. It will start on March 11th, and this is going to be a peer-to-peer sharing time, so I'm encouraging presidents to, you know, come onto the call with their cup, mug, long stem glass, whatever they want, whatever they choose, um, and share with one another. The calls will not be recorded. It really is an opportunity for presidents to share with one another, and uh, I think I, I'm just excited about that opportunity. So again, that was just something that kind of came up as a result of these conversations I've been having with presidents. Um, Another thing that is close to being ready to go is Friends of ACB. So this is a program that will be up and running in March, and it is a way for people to connect with us who maybe want to learn more about ACB before becoming a member or, um, yeah, just want to, you know, be connected with our fine organization, uh, but maybe just aren't quite right, ready yet to become a member. And so um, it will be free of charge. Uh, anyone who's interested in learning more about ACB uh, has the opportunity to join. And, um, and they will instantly be able to receive electronically our, our braille forum and e-forum they'll be put on our announce only list and we will create a way for us to periodically reach out to them by phone thanks to my posse uh, so that we can answer any of their questions and hopefully get them connected and then I wanted to clear the air a little bit maybe um, hopefully clarify about the posse's role and the kind of calls that they're making, and, and Dan asked about, like the resu- some of the responses that that we are receiving. So, any time a posse member makes a call to either someone who has gone on our website and requested to become a, a member at large, or someone uh, who was a lapsed member, so they did not rejoin in two thousand nineteen. We are just finishing up. I think those calls have now been finished up. Thank goodness. Oh my goodness, there was a lot of calls uh, to make. When we call those people, especially lapsed members, we have the information on what affiliate or affiliates they were members of in 2018. And our ladies, when they call them, are in, you know saying, "Would you like to join back with said affiliate?" Do you need contact information? I'll email that to you or they can provide it over the phone. Then they email the affiliate representative, whether it's the president or membership person or whatever, um, along with the email to the prospective rejoining member so that we are connecting them with the affiliate that they wanted to join. Unfortunately, occasionally, more often than we wish, We do get people that say they don't want for under any circumstances to rejoin an affiliate that they were a member with. But you guys, we don't want to lose them as members of ACB, and it's not our place to judge why or why not they want to join an affiliate, right? But what we do is we give them the opportunity to learn about the affiliates, typically our special interest affiliates, and now we have 20 of them. Uh, that we will be sharing with them so that they might get connected to uh, one of our affiliates. And if not, then we give them the opportunity to join as a member at large. So I want to make it clear that what we're doing should not take the place of anything your affiliates want to do to reach out to your members past, present, or future. We are supporting you in that And what we're doing is in addition to not in place of. So um, let's see. Uh, The only other thing that I think I wanted to make mention is that we will be working on our first uh, rebuilding of an affiliate. So that's taking place in March. And then I worked on the affiliate liaison program to make it more formalized and did some, of course, training with this board uh, yesterday. And um, I think that it's just I'm excited that we have something in place that will help ACB connect on a more regular basis with our affiliates. And um, I'm just honored to be doing what I'm doing. So any questions?
3: I just want to say, um, as one of the individuals who was part of it, actually it was a two-on-one. It was Cindy again with my state president and myself. The, those discussions were so helpful. And it wasn't like Cindy telling us what to do and, and Cindy saying, oh, this is what you need to do. What, when you talk through things, you often come to the, to the realization yourself exactly what you need to be doing and what you could be doing. So I think I just want to compliment Cindy on having those. If if you are a, an affiliate president that has not had one or for, for whatever reason, I would certainly say that it, it can hurt, and it may well help, and, and I just am, am very complimentary on the whole process.
0: Oh, thank you, Jeff, and, and actually, thank you for saying that. Uh, one of the things that with these presidents and these one-on-ones, we talked. I mean, I never knew what the where the conversations were going to lead, but I I um, ended up sending to every president that I spoke with, uh, where it was applicable, detailed notes and outline of some of the things that we talked about. So I didn't just share information with them, but they actually had it in front of them for them to share with their boards and whoever was appropriate for them to share with. Um, so happy to have any one-on-one conversations with any of you, whether you're president or not. Um, so please do contact me. Right? Right, yes. Yeah. I'm coming. Uh, I
2: know are. Just give her a second, right? right. <laughs> Got it. Okay. You know, thing. it's a, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> it, she's only been, I'm going to embarrass Cindy now a little bit. <clears throat> she's only been with us about eight months. Eight months, thank you. Um, I am so pleased to see that the work that we are doing and need to do around membership. Has become so professionalized. Um, it's you know, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, membership in this organization. John McCann said it many a times. It's it's kind of in the hands of seventy now seventy one different different entities. But what Cindy has been able to do in the short time that she's been with us on staff is to really professionalize it. Um, I agree with Jeff about the one on ones. Uh, how. Open and honest, she was and, and encouraged us to be the same way. And, and um, just, I, I feel like our membership is really headed in a great direction, and it's due in large part to Miss Cindy Van Winkle.
0: Thank you, Ray. I've, Thank got, you guys. I've got another hand up.
1: It's Barbara Salisbury. I'm not a member of the board, but as a president of an affiliate, I just want to say how helpful. And just energizing the conversation was with Cindy. I've had the opportunity to reach out her, to her on other issues as well. She is absolutely fantastic. And if you have not had a conversation with her as president of an affiliate, I would strongly encourage it. It, it was just a, it's, it's a wonderful asset. She's oh. a wonderful asset.
0: Oh, bless your heart. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> you are too. Thank you so much. I, I think that's the other thing, you know, um, getting to know uh, our different affiliates in a new way. It, it's energizing for me too. Uh, it And it makes me, I put it in my report, but it really truly inspires me to want to do better for ACB and our affiliates. So thanks so much, Barbara. I'll disagree
2: with Eric. Don't slow down. <laughs> <laughs> I, do not. I got good it's energy. I got good energy. I'm, I'm, going. Going. I'm going.
4: I'm going. Cindy, it's Dan. Would you mind just sharing again? The, the top four or five themes that your posse has found from the thousand calls you guys made—sure, made. yeah. people
0: that thought they are members and they are not—that's mm. that's a common one. Um, and sometimes it could be that they really thought they were and they weren't. That maybe they paid their membership later in the year and that money didn't get, and nor their information got into the database. Um, so any. It, any of the uh, lapsed members that we've called, they were strictly—I mean—they were truly taken from our database. It was exported uh, in October. So, uh, so that's one. Uh, another would be that you know we we've had people we've learned about. We've done some—is it called purging when you kind of clean things up a little, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've we've been able to identify. Uh, disconnected numbers lots of those so we update the database when that happens we've also uh, learned of people who have passed away so that's you know something else that has been helpful um and and we have people that maybe can't join as a member at this time maybe they're older they're living in assisted living they don't have the money um, there's some sad stories uh but now uh, here soon, we'll be able to offer them to become a friend of ACB and keep them connected, which I really love. Um, and and then, of course, you know, learning why somebody may not want to join an affiliate, and then we redirect them. So we really try to um, not uh, continue on that path of why they don't want to rejoin, but hopefully, why they want to join another affiliate and remain a member of ACB. So, is that, was there any other ones that Dan you were thinking of that I didn't mention?
4: No, I those were really good. Okay. The only other one I think I've heard you talk about is the fact as people transition you are oh, moving. Population yes. Moves yeah, so we've, yeah, yeah, so we yeah,
0: so we we've learned of people that have moved to another state and so um, that's another thing that we get to help with. You know, they can remain a member of their previous affiliate if they so choose, and that affiliate allows them to do that, um, like I have. I've stayed a member of Washington Council, but I have also rejoined or I've joined of Minnesota. And we, by contacting these uh, lapsed members, and we learned that they've moved – we're able to give them the contact information for their current state affiliate. And so I think that's also been really helpful. Thank you. That's it for this episode of ACB in Action. Thanks for taking time to listen in. And I hope that if you are not currently a member of ACB, you'll give it some thought about joining. If you would like to get connected with a local affiliate or learn more about our special interest affiliate, you can always go to our website, www.acb.org, where you can find a list of all of our affiliates or give me a call at 612-345-9036 and i'd be happy to help you get connected i'd also be happy to help you join as a member at large if that's your choice i look forward to you being a part of the acb family and now let's go forth and make acb proud by doing some wonderful work in our own communities take care and talk to you soon this is acb in action